Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And as we're in this section this morning, this is part 2 of verses 26 through, or verse 16 through 26, excuse me. We're going to start out immediately by reading this morning's text. Again, this is Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. Follow along as I read. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the flesh, or if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Many of you know what I'm about to say. If you do, say it with me. This is the Word of God. Uh, last week, we noted and distinguished the difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the control or being submitted to the Holy Spirit in, in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. I want to just rewind the tape a little bit to help us remember some of those principles just quickly. When we think about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible. That's an important principle. It is impossible to be born again, to be saved, to be regenerated, to be a true Christian without having the Holy Spirit indwelling you as a believer. Now that's stated in the negative, but here's the point. It's because at the moment of salvation, God the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us as new creations in Christ. God the Holy Spirit indwells and lives within Every single Christian at that moment of salvation, not a latter experience. And Paul makes this extraordinarily, vividly clear when we look at the book of Galatians. When we look at uh, uh, Galatians chapter 3, this is what it says. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5, starting with these first three verses, it says this. O you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is important. What Paul is testifying to them is, at the moment of faith, 
at the moment you put your trust in Christ, at that moment of salvation, that's when you receive the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a latter experience. It wasn't a work of the flesh. It wasn't a work of the law that brought the Holy Spirit. It was God himself who did this at the moment of salvation. Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Again, just that reiteration. The Spirit doesn't come later. It's not something you did in your flesh. This is what happened when you were saved. Yet he continues on in verses 4 and 5. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, what we see here, the Spirit comes, the indwelling comes at that moment of faith, that moment of regeneration, that moment of salvation. We see this again in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, brothers and sisters in Christ, the adopted ones, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's not because of something else. It's not because of something we have done. It's not because of a latter experience. It's not because of some type of a ritual or religious ceremony. They may be good things. They may be things that need to be done out of obedience. But those actions aren't what trigger or bring the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's regeneration. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who comes at that moment of salvation. Summarizing point. If you are a new creation in Christ... If you have been born again, if you are saved, God himself, the Holy Spirit, lives within you. That's incredible. Second component to this is there's a, we need to distinguish the difference between the indwelling and submitting to the Holy Spirit. Submitting ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Just because he's in there, if I could say it that bluntly, it doesn't mean he's in control of you. This is something we're commanded to do. This is something we are called to submit ourselves to. We need to submit ourselves to the Spirit that he would reign, that he would be in control, that he is the one who, com- who, who, who is in opposition to the flesh, which we are constantly battling against. This is what we recognize, and we see this in Galatians chapter 5. Scan down through these passages as it talks about this instruction of being controlled, being submitted to, and he talks about it in this kind of verbiage that talks about walking with. In verse 16, he says exactly that. Walk by the Spirit. Another word that we didn't use last week but is appropriate. Abide with the Spirit. The idea is to be in harmony, to be in step, to be walking together. The second place that we see it is in verse 18 in this passage. Be led by the Spirit. The next place that we see it is in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What Paul's instructing us here and what the Word of God is saying is, yes, he's indwelling you, but that doesn't mean you're walking with him. Yes, he's indwelling you, but it doesn't mean you're being led by him, that you're following after him. Yes, he indwells you. The Spirit of God is within you himself, but it doesn't mean you're living by him. It doesn't mean you're walking in step with him. 
What's interesting when we hear these instructions is that each one of these instructions are stated in the imperative. What that means is these are commands. These are instructions. We are commanded to be submitted to the Spirit as followers of Jesus Christ. All of these are emphatic command voice statements. The reality is that there will be days, there will be moments for me personally, and for each and every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, that we will not, this is reality, be submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. That is, I believe, what Paul petitions when he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. I do not do the things that I wish to do. What's he confessing? Because this flesh, not this body, not this skin and bones, but this natural man is constantly in tension and opposition to the work of the Spirit, what I know He wants me doing. If, we're, um, if we are sincere, if we are honest, every one of us would say, yeah, I know that tension. I know what I ought to do, but I do not do this. Now, this is what's interesting. To say this one more way. The Word of God commands you calls to you to submit yourself in this way. One more morsel before we move forward in this section. The contrast between walking by the Spirit and the flesh. We need to answer the question, what is the flesh that's being spoken of here? And as I alluded to this a minute ago, it's not saying that this natural, like the skin and bones of who we are as people, that this is evil. That's a whole different false teaching that we see addressed in the New Testament. What it's talking about is this idea of, it's a synonym for this sinful self-will that's within us. This struggle that we have with this natural man. We've used this three weeks in a row, so I'm going to read it again this morning, just as this baseline of what we're talking about when we talk about the flesh. This is a quote from John MacArthur, but you know what pastors say. When they quote someone once, they cite the person. When they cite them the second time, they say, well, someone once said this. And then when they cite that person the third time, they just say, well, you know what I always say. Think about that. John MacArthur says this. Flesh does not refer to the physical body, but to the sinful inclination of fallen mankind. The old self-will. Those supreme desire, excuse me, whose start that over again, whose supreme desire is to do its own will and to satisfy sinful appetites. It is a synonym for sinful self-will. The flesh and the spirit who is within us are in opposition to each other. It's important. They are in conflict. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. I don't know that we've made this plain enough yet, but please note that the spirit here is proper. This is not small s, spirit in a sense that like the spirit within me, but this is capital S, the person of the Holy Spirit himself. They're against each other. Continuing on verse 17, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. O wretched man that I am. Now, We need to dial this back, take these principles, we're going to dial it back just a little bit to understand the intent, the purpose for what we're seeing here in chapter 5. I think this is really important, and we're going to frame it under this point, the message of Galatians. 
we have to think about why is this here in Galatians 5? Let me say that a slightly different way. There are a lot of times people will take a smaller portion of a book of a Bible and just read or just teach a particular portion. Galatians 5 would be a common section of Scripture that someone would simply teach through something like verses 16 down through verse 26, addressing the idea of the fruits of the Spirit and the, and the works of the flesh. That would be a common place to teach, uh, just an isolated passage. That would be a normal thing to do. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I think this is really important. We need to back our magnification way out. Instead of just looking at this, this concept of, of the fruit of the Spirit, what is going on here in the bigger book, and how does this fit into it? We know from the greater teaching of Galatians, which we've been through for months now, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No works of the law, period. To add a work of the law to grace is to make grace something completely different. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, very plainly address this. He talks and confronts them with the idea that you've created a different gospel. And he says, but wait a minute, there isn't even another gospel. There is one gospel. And what you have done is you have taken your works of the law, added them to grace, and it's just not the gospel at all. That's Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7. The dilemma being addressed in this portion of chapter 5 is now regarding the freedom we have in Christ. Okay, so if works of the law aren't necessary, if the reality is there's no ceremonial law that I can add to or that I can bring to the gospel, adding to the gospel that earns my salvation. For example, in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, it's not about Sabbaths or festivals from the ceremonial law. In chapter 2, verses, verse 11, it's not dietary requirements. It's not about what you eat anymore. And there's no circumcision for men that's required. You can't do these things to earn your salvation. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. Anytime, this is important, we add a required work of man in order to get saved, we're not believing in the gospel at all. That's so important. It doesn't mean that there aren't good works that we should be doing as a fruit or as an outcome of salvation. But if we put those before salvation, we say you must do this to get saved, we are now officially entering into the sin, the corruption that the Galatians were in. But there's still another side to this coin. Since you're free in Christ, no works of the law required, can we just live and do whatever we want? We've mentioned this more than once, but this is the false teaching that would be addressed as antinomianism. This would be the matter that says, since grace covers it all, I don't need to worry about anything. I can just let go and let God, I can just walk willy-nilly and just be free and do whatever I want to do. There's no moral boundaries in my life. I can eat, drink, and I can be merry and do whatever I want because grace has covered it all. I can just treat others, by the way, this is coming down to what we're going to look at in Galatians 5, because I'm free in Christ, I can just treat the one another as my brothers and sisters in Christ, however I want to treat them. And we know from Romans chapter 6, we know from Romans chapter 6, 
I might need your help back there, guys. There it is. Romans chapter 6. Paul says, hogwash. Garbage. What are we to say then? Or do we continue to sin that grace may, ab- may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I think these are important principles that as we're looking at Galatians 5 in this conflict between the flesh and, and, and the spirit and this idea that we're free, he's bringing this down to our relationship as family, as the household of God, as the one another's. Just because you're free, it doesn't mean you have the right to do whatever you want. Just run over your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, let's talk about opportunities for the flesh. I'm going to try this again. There it goes. Opportunities for the flesh. We see this in verses 13 to 15 from this morning's text. The essence of Paul's argument in Galatians 5 is why it's necessary for us to walk by the Spirit in verse 16. We have to look at this within the greater context of Galatians 5. And this is what's interesting to me. I think classically, when we take and do a a narrow section of Galatians 5, we classically will start with verse 16 to verse 26, just like we're doing this morning. But here's what I want to encourage us to do, and we're going to do it right now. I want you to just back off a little bit further and go to verse 13. Okay? All of this is about the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. We're going to see the manifestation of the flesh. We're going to see the produce, the outcome of the spirit. But how does he precede this? What leads into this discussion? Verse 13 says this. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This starts us into the flesh section. But through love, by the way, those of you who are already processing this, what is the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So let's take it this way. Look at verse 13b again. He says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh is in conflict with the spirit. The spirit is the one who is called to rule in our life. We are commanded to submit ourselves to him, to walk with him, to be led by him, to walk in step with him. Verse 13c, but through love serve one another. The word but clearly puts this contrast, the the fact that there's this conflict, this opposition again. The word but places love and serving one another in contrast to that flesh. What is he saying? Let's start the discussion about this opposition, the flesh and loving one another. Then in verse 14, Paul points us to the great command, the greatest command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We looked at that a little bit in preceding weeks. That's in Matthew 22 and Deuteronomy 6. In verse 15, he then talks about what this looks like. 
what, what looks like. When the flesh is in control of us, as opposed to when the Spirit's in control of us. What does it look like? Look at verse 15. It looks like cannibalism. Think about that, guys. It looks like cannibalism. And who is he talking to? The corporate body of the churches that are assembled in that region of Galatia. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is a church that cannibalizes itself for the sake of feeding what? Their flesh. Think about that. He's not speaking literally. There's not literal cannibalism going on, and it's not about feeding this flesh, the belly. It's about feeding this manner of this sinful nature that's within us. You're consuming each other to feed yourself. That's a manifestation of the flesh, not the produce, the product of the Spirit who's within you. Now look at verse verse 16. By the way, it's another paragraph, but these numbers are not inspired. Remember that. And he starts with the word, but. By the way, that's a connector. It contrasts, yes, but it connects us to the preceding thought. What's the preceding thought? Cannibalism. Instead of cannibalism, I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's interesting. Paul, excuse me, James talks about the same idea. James talks about the same idea. He uses different verbiage, but I think he's describing to a T this kind of a struggle, this conflict between the flesh and the Spirit. What does he say in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2? What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? By the way, this is one another speech again. This is talking to the corporate body of the church. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Flesh, different verbiage, but I think this is exactly what he's talking about. Your flesh. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. It's not too early in this whole progression, even as we're introducing where we're going with this this morning, to start some application even as we speak. Right now. When brothers and sisters in Christ are in conflict with one another, you ready for this? This is as practical as it gets because every one of us struggles with this. When brothers and sisters in Christ are in conflict with one another, it is a result of the flesh ruling in their lives. Did you have a spat, an argument, a disagreement with your spouse this weekend? That was the flesh. Did you lose your temper even with your children this weekend? That was the flesh. It is a lack of submission of the ho- to the Holy Spirit who is in their lives. Conflict can be one-sided. This is important. In my experience as a pastor and the counseling that I've done and the, inter- the relationships that I've been a part of over the years, yes, 
Conflict can be one-sided, though in my experience, they are nearly always two-sided. There are two people involved in this. And both of them are self-justifying and saying, it's their fault, it's their fault. In reality, both parties are guilty. This is true in our fellowship as a local church. Point blank, the teaching of the fruit of the Spirit and the manifestation of the flesh in our lives, this is directed to the church. We look at it in so many other ways and different lenses. Those applications may be appropriate, but the intended purpose for this text is for the church. Biting and devouring cannibalism within the pews. That's what this is about. This is true in our local church, Bethany Baptist Church. This is true in campus ministry. This is true in marriage. This is true in family. The list is endless. I think it's important. The confines of this are Christian relationships. Brothers and sisters in Christ. But that is the parameter. And when there's conflict, when there's digesting of each other, this is a manifestation of the flesh and not the control of the Spirit in our life. Point blank. If you are counseling and working with someone through discipleship or any other context, and you're recognizing among two brothers or two sisters or a brother and sister in Christ, whatever that context would be, that there is conflict, disagreement, they're digesting each other up, The place to start is, are you walking under the control of the Holy Spirit? Because it does not look like it right now. That's legit. If you are regularly and consistently eating others around you, this is personal. If you are regularly and consistently eating other people around you, I can say quite confidently, it probably means the Holy Spirit is not in control of your life. That's practical, guys. That's convicting. That's personal. Look at verses 17 and 18. Walking by the Spirit. This is what it says in verses 17 and 18. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But, lots of contrast in this whole section, by the way. But, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This text clearly establishes that the flesh and the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit's rule in our life, are in constant tension. But it's more than tension. This is battlefield stuff. There are many who would argue that the practical spiritual warfare that's taking place in each one of our lives on a regular basis, this is the front line of it right here for the majority of us. The battle of the flesh and the battle of the spirit. Paul reminds us in verse verse 18, excuse me, because we've been set free from the law, we are under grace. The grace of Christ through faith. Therefore, Because we're under grace, because we are new creations in Christ, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's a necessity. That's a reality. That's a truth. Remember, it's not a latter experience. Guys, take joy in this. If you're struggling with conflict, if you're struggling with cannibalism, you are fully equipped to deal with what's before you today. Not by your power, not by your willpower, 
but by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, the very nature and person of God himself. And I think this does require just a quick qualification. This assumes salvation. This assumes that you're born again in Christ. If you are still dead in your trespasses and sin, you are on your own in this fight. You're fighting it alone, and you're not going to win. You can't win. You're incapable to see, to even understand the battle that's in front of you by your own strength. You can't do it. It's God the Holy Spirit who even has to do that work in your life. Anything you do in regards to this kind of a conflict or the battle of the flesh, it just simply comes down to the power of your own self-will and your own self-righteousness, which in the eyes of God gets you nothing. Actually, it gets you more. It gets you what you deserve, and by your righteousness, it's the wrath of God. Not only does God call believers to submit themselves to the Holy Spirit, but as someone who has not received the gospel of Jesus Christ, he commands you to do something completely different. He commands you to believe. He commands you to put your faith, your trust, your, uh, to your trust in Jesus Christ as your only means of salvation. To confess, God, I'm unrighteous. God, I am worthy of your judgment. I am dead before you. But I trust in Christ. I trust in his righteousness. I'm trusting in him to save me from my sin. And the point of this text is this. Speaking to believers, but if you're an unbeliever, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin, even if that happens as I'm preaching this morning, in this instant a miracle takes place. You are transformed from death into life. And that very second, that instant, in that blinking of an eye, a measurement of time that's so small we can't even fathom it, you are transformed. You are born again. You are regenerated. And God himself comes to reside within you and empower you to open your eyes, to help you understand the scriptures that are so puzzling to you in so many other ways. It is God who does this. He outfits you. He empowers you. He equips you to do everything God wills for you in your life. And if you're trying to do that yourself, you're never going to get there. The answer is a faith and a trust in Christ himself. But the works of the flesh, they're obvious. Look at verses 19 to 21. Here we see a very specific list of the works of the flesh. And as we pointed out last week, this is not an, exa- this is not an exhaustive list. This is intended to be a representative list. And it's very plain when you look at verse 21. Verse 21, he says, and things like these. In a sense, what he's saying is, and so on, and so on, and so on. Maybe another way to say that is, and you know what I'm talking about. This is what it looks like, but there's so much more. But I want to point something out to you that I think we often bypass when it comes to this list. When we look at this list, we often tend to jump and draw our eyes to certain things on this list which are moral uh, lifestyle standards. 
We tend to kind of look at the naughty list. You know what I'm talking about, right? We see words and we heard, hear words read in scripture like orgies and sexual immorality. Woo, that like kind of like is like that, that moment we're blinded by the light. That's what our eyes are drawn to. But notice this. Especially in light of what we saw in verses 13 to 15 about biting and devouring and cannibalism, right? In the pews. Everything listed here is representative of a life that is controlled by the flesh. Every one of these are important. I'm not trying to say these are more important than those. But in my opinion, as I'm looking at this list, Paul is showing us certain particular interpersonal relationship issues that are matters of the flesh, and he puts them right in the middle of these big moral issues. And what is he saying to us? These are all on the same plane, guys. We tend to want to look at walking in the flesh and we say, that's a naughty. That's a big naughty. Don't do this. Don't do this. That's another big naughty. And I think what's really interesting as we look at this list is he says, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, those are all on par. And that's what it looks like when you're eating each other in the church pews. That's a manifestation of the flesh in your life. You can claim to be a new creation in Christ if the Holy Spirit of God has come and indwelt you. And these behaviors are prevalent in your life. I just butchered that quote. But if these behaviors are prevalent in your life, there's no other way to say it. You're not being led by the Spirit. You're letting the flesh dwell, rule in your life. We're going to go through this list really really quickly. You're not going to be able to take notes. I'm going to go that fast. But I want you to show, I want to show you this list. I'm going to give some quick, rapid definitions. We're going to spend some more time on the relational issues. But what I want to point out to you is this list overlaps time and time again. We're going to see different definitions that correlate very closely together. I don't even know what to make of that. It's just true. The first one on his list is sexual immorality. What does this encompass? Pornography, marital unfaithfulness, inappropriate physical contact. He talks about impurity. This is broad and all-encompassing, referring to uncleanliness, unholiness, sinfulness before God, sensuality. It's sexual sin again, another crossing other, another overlapping. This is unrestrained sexual indulgence. Idolatry. The worship of created things. Elevating them higher than the creator himself. An aspect of idolatry is recreating a God in the way that we want him to be as opposed to the way that he has declared himself to be in his very word. He talks about sorcery. This is super broad and can encompass so many different things. Everything from the occult to dabbling with witchcraft, the paranormal, fortune tellers, and the list goes on and on. There's no place for this for the one who is controlled by the Spirit. But even after that short list, he now brings in this list of interpersonal issues that I think is directly correlated to biting and devouring, 13 to 15. What does he talk about? Emnity. That's not a word we use in our everyday language today, is it? It means to be an enemy. At odds with all. A, a one who is by nature a contrarian. 
To illustrate this, though it's not exactly what he's saying here, you don't want to be at enmity with God. But he's talking relationally right now. This is about enmity with one another. Are you that one who's constantly a contrarian, who's constantly at odds, constantly, constantly an enemy with those who are the one another's of the church? Strife, bitterness, or hateful, this is another correlation to conflict, jealousy, this is resentment, this is coveting. I want what you have, I want to be like you, why can't I have that? Fits of anger. This is not one who's controlled by the Spirit, obviously. Rather, it is one who is taken or controlled by their anger. Fits of anger. This is madness, uncontrolled. This is tirades, verbal and physically. Rivalries. One in competition. A conflict. Excuse me. One who is contentious again dissensions. At its core, this is the idea of being a divider, opposed to being a unifier. One who is in conflict, one who, who, who is known for constantly being in disagreement. Do you see some threads developing here? Divisions, nearly identical to the one who divides. Envy, again, related to jealousy, coveting, and resentment. And then he shifts gears and he goes back to these moral things again. Drunkenness, to be controlled by alcohol rather than, or any other foreign chemical, rather than being controlled by God himself. Orgies, deviant sexual social sin. And then what does he say? And things like these. Now, we look at this really technically, and it's really easy just to go through this rapid fire like I just did. But if you're looking at this sincerely and authentically, and you're looking at this through the magnifying lens that looks to your own heart, you should be convicted because it exposes the flesh. That's what he wants us to do. But I keep repeating this because I think this is the intent. He wants us to see these interpersonal, these relationship issues that are right in the middle of this list. And I think what he's trying to do is he's saying, we started talking about biting and devouring each other, which is an issue of the flesh. You were commanded to be controlled by the Spirit. These matters of the flesh, which are interpersonal, we tend to just kind of throw off like, oh, those are just little things. It's those biggies that we need to focus on. And he's saying, no, that's the flesh. And that's what's controlling you as a church. Paul charges in verses 13 to 15, if you bite and devour, these matters of interpersonal relationships, these works of the flesh, are just as bad, just as significant, just as controlling, just as devastating, just as powerful as these moral sins which we recognize as so important. What does he say in verse 21? Partway through verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's some powerful things stated there. He says, when I, when I warned you before, he's probably not talking about something written in this book because he doesn't really give this list. He's saying, when I was with you in person, I addressed these things. I warned you about this before. But what's more spotlighty 
is that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, this isn't just the moral things. These are the relationship things. This is a list that says, uh, excuse me, this is not a list that says if you do these things, you're going to lose your salvation. Can I say that again? Because that's not what the text is saying. The text is not saying if you do these things, you will lose your salvation. If that were true, Paul would be contradicting everything he's taught in this entire letter. He would be, if that were true, Paul would be advocating a works-based salvation. Paul would be advocating that there is a work that you can do that will either get you saved or get you unsaved. That's not what he's teaching. It's by grace alone, and we have to make sure that's very plain. We are not saved by our works, and just as much so, neither can we lose our salvation as a result of our works of our flesh. You guys, this is kind of a backward statement that you should take confidence in. There's nothing big enough, bad enough, awful enough that you can do in your life that can undo what God has already done. You can't undo it. On the other hand, here's another other side of the coin equation, and this is what he's coming to. If this is a list, as a whole or in part, that is representative of your life, if you're looking at this list, any part of it, and you're saying, this describes me. I'm right there today. It's not that you've lost your salvation. It is possible that this is an indicator of the fact that the Holy Spirit's not in your life. I didn't say that you're not controlled by money. It's possible you're not indwelled by him. It's possible not only that you're deceiving people seated around you, but maybe you're deceiving yourself. You've convinced yourself that I made this decision, I prayed this prayer, I walked this aisle, and that's where my faith and trust resides. But there's been no change in my life, and I see no victory in these matters of the flesh. It is possible that you don't know him at all. And I don't even know if this is the right way to proceed this, but I'll say it this way. I hope you get the point. At the very least, it might be that you're a Christian who's controlled by your flesh and you're not controlled by the Holy Spirit. And if that's true, it's time to repent. (laughs) It's time to repent of your flesh and turn to the power of the Holy Spirit submitting yourself to him. Verses 22 to 24, the fruit of the Spirit. This is going to fall together on itself really quickly. Think of that produce market. Think about what comes and what's in that produce department. The life that is led by the Spirit yields a product, produce. Something comes out of it. It's a yield. It's the fruit of the harvest, we might say. If you walk by the Spirit, there is a yield, there's a production, there's a produce. Your life is called to produce the fruit of the Spirit. What does he say in verses 22 to 23? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I bet you half the people in this room could have recited that with me because you know these. We sing these. We know these kinds of statements. But think about how that correlates to the greatest commandment in verses 13 to 15. Think about that, guys. The life that is controlled by the Holy Spirit, not the flesh, which are in conflict. If you are submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is about our relationship together, what flows out of that is our love for each other. 
the joy that we share, the peace that we have with God himself through his son, Jesus Christ, which yields a peace among us. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what's produced in the life that is led, that walks, that is walking with the Holy Spirit. But he says in verse 23 something else. Against such things, there is no law. So what we recognize when we're seeing this in the greater context of what Galatians is teaching us is that when a life is truly transformed, when the Holy Spirit is present, there will be a a transformation in the way that one lives. It says in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. We've got to circle the wagons back again. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15 again. What is the larger context of this teaching? You're going to get this when you walk out the door. We are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. The produce, the product, the fruit of the Spirit. Love one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But, conflict, if you bite and devour works of the flesh, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Do not walk by the flesh. Do not bite and devour, but through love serve one another. And this is super important again. Because I think this is one of those passages that we look at and we take on personally. And there are implications of that. This will not happen in this church corporately unless we are personally willing to start doing this in our own life. It's true. But this charge, this teaching, is not to an individual. This is to us, plural, together. Do this individually, that this will be manifest in our fellowship in the pews in Bethany Baptist Church together. A local church that is, excuse me, a local church that is first individually walking by the Spirit will manifest this in their corporate interactions together. When the world looks at Bethany Baptist Church, think about this, guys. When they look at our testimony of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of the things that we share, that we're commanded to be a part of as we walk in this fellowship together, do they look, look at verse 24, at a group of people that belong to Christ Jesus, who have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. What Paul is showing us here in Galatians 5 is this is made manifest in the way that we are led by the Spirit. Let me show you this in one other way. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to kind of turn this passage inside out. You'll see what I mean in just a second. John says this, By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. See the correlation here? The connection that's going on? Now, if you're following along, we're going to go up just a couple verses. And this is what it says in verses 7 through 12. Connected to the Spirit, by the way, guys. Beloved, let us love one another, 
For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this is... In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is a manifestation of a life that is submitted to the Spirit, not the flesh. But wait, there's more. Just a few verses later in chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And you can't do that by the flesh. John chapter 14. Same author, different book. Except for it's 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You can't do this by the, or by the flesh, guys. This has to be a fruit, a manifestation of the Spirit. Are you walking with Him? Application for Bethany Baptist Church. If you claim to be a new creation in Christ, if the Holy Spirit of God has come and indwelt you, and the works of the flesh are prevalent in your life, you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. You are being led by the flesh. When brothers and sisters in Christ are in conflict with one another, it is a result of the flesh ruling in their lives and their lack of submission to the Holy Spirit. Fights, conflicts, divisions, spats, are virtually always the responsibility of both parties. There are always two sides to every story. It's true in all of our Christian relationships, in the home, in the family, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, in the workplace, in the community. But the point is what we're looking at right now, and I think this is correct as he's teaching it to the churches of Galatia and as it's being applied to this congregation, Bethany Baptist Church. This is true of our fellowship here at Bethany Baptist. If we are not showing love, we're walking in the flesh. And the fruit of the Spirit is not being made manifest in us. This text is showing us that the works of the flesh begins and looks like Christian cannibalism. In the pews. If our church fellowship looks more like cannibalism than a love feast... We're allowing the flesh to rule in us, and we are not walking by the Spirit. Would you stand up, please? But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Say it with me. This is the word of God.